given to me by Woody Shaw, Sunship, Dizzy, and Billy Higgins, dedicated to pursuing a piece of our cultural heritage through interviews with my jazz heroes. This is the Jake Feinberg Show. Folks, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. And during a certain period of time in our musical history, in a particular region of the country, it was only about the music. A combination of work in the East Bay during World War II saw a mass migration of African Americans from the South. And you also had mavericks from all over the country, in Kansas City, Omaha, and Chicago, who chose to go to the Bay Area to get involved in the music. It was a mixture of smoke blues and hard-driving percussive Latin rock. There were also strands of Indian raga music and psychedelic boogie. You had the Fillmore District, Jackson Sutter, the Both And, Jimbo's Bop City, the Black Saint, the Great American Music Hall, and later the Keystone Corner. The late 60s and early 70s in the Bay Area was special because everyone was curious about different styles of music and bringing in musicians with different backgrounds was not threatening, but actually the thing to do. No stratification, just a slow roast till the wee hours of the morning. The names are numerous. Cal Jader, John Hendricks, Jerry Garcia, Ali Akbar Khan, John Handy, Michael Bloomfield, Merle Saunders, Eddie Marshall, Bobby Hutcherson, Carlos Santana, John Kahn, Ron Stallings, and my guest today, Trumpeter John Wilmoth, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Hi, Jake. How did how did you originally um, uh, make it out to the Bay Area? Well, um, I was uh, had graduated from the University of Iowa, and uh, I actually uh, had a job playing jazz, first as a bass player and then as a uh, trumpet player at a club in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I lived in Iowa City, mm. Iowa, and in, in Cedar Rapids there was this club run by this drummer. And actually, you know, a few great jazz musicians came through there, uh, played while students at the University of Iowa, like uh, Al Jarreau mm-hmm. was one. And David Sanborn was another. And there was a tenor player out there at the time uh, who would come out to uh, kind of like clean up in Iowa. And his name was J.R. Montrose, who was uh, famous for working with Charlie Mangus in New York. Absolutely, yes. Sure. So I got a quite um, a good background in jazz just working at this club, both, both as a bass player and as a trumpet player. And um, I did that for about a year after graduation, and then I moved to San Francisco. 
But um, actually, you just, know, just, with, just to check out the scene. Right. I mean, I want listen. I I have to be. I, you know, I have to be clear. To me, it's all fantasy. So when I describe it like that, is that the way it felt, or was it was it not as glamorous? That that that's my first question, really, because you, I mean, it seems to me to be one of the most percolating and beautiful periods in our history, and um, you were totally surrounded by it and not distracted by all this other digital technology and stuff that we contend with now in the 21st century. Right. You could, looking back, it was glamorous. At the time, you know, I was just a young adult with, uh, you know, emotional and, and artistic problems like anybody else. So mm-hmm. um, maybe it wasn't quite as glamorous going through it as it appears to be now, you know, because it was an amazing, as you say, it wasn't a kind of an amazing period in American music. And I was both in, involved both in the jazz scene uh, and the, uh, you know, I guess you call it the hybrid scene. <laughs> <which> you, uh, <laughs> this is so, I'm so, you have no idea. I, I should tell the backstory is that uh, I, I see John's uh, picture on the John White Jr. album, and it's, it's an amazing album because even people that really know music, uh, they don't even know how to describe that, that album, that kind of music. That's the hybrid that was happening at that time. It was just, yeah. it was like, you know, you brought in, you, you needed session players, trumpet players that could play rock, and, you know, that, that well, I don't want to jump too far ahead. The, the, I, I want to, when I look you up online, there's very limited information as far as, like, biographical. And um, yes. and and uh, there's a picture from Notre Dame. Did you go? Did you go to Notre Dame, or is that another John Wilmoth? I went to the Notre Dame Jazz Festival. Exactly. And, there's uh, a picture I of was the actually with the Billy Harper uh, sextet at oh. that time. Are you serious? Uh, yeah, because right, I was at uh, attending North Texas State. Uh huh. And uh, oh, gee, you know, Dan Hurley was a member of that group. John Monahan. Oh, Billy Harper went really to North good, Texas. That's right. Some okay. really good, yeah. Some really great players. Absolutely. And, um, Unbelievable. Billy uh, was fronting a sextet, very much like the Art Blakey uh, sextet at the time. As a matter of fact, we played some of their some of their tunes. You know, he he modeled much after what you know that really happening Art Blakey sextet with Wayne and Freddie. It was with Freddie or Lee Morgan. Yeah, it was Wayne Shorter, Freddie Hubbard, yeah. Curtis Fuller. How would you describe that um, that kind of music in your mind? Like you said, that that you were modeling it after that style. What was that style? Was it? It was. It was uh, incredibly confident perfection and beauty. <laughs> <laughs> how would you describe? Uh, oh, you mean the Art Blakey thing? Yeah, yeah. How would you describe oh. what you were? What you, you said you were, we were modeling ourselves. I kind of liked it. That's what Billy wanted. Kind of that sound. What, what, well, as you know, the, the, the jazz scene of the 60s was incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just like one great thing happened after another. It's, it is incredible. I, I, I don't know how to describe it other than that. It was, you know, <laughs> it was, it, I guess you call it post-bop. Right. You know, you call, you call, call it post-bebop, but it still had that hard-bop kind of flavor. And... Uh, no, let me, John, let uh, you know, me... Uh, driving, charging, yeah. Yeah. you know, the way Wayne wrote compositions there. We played a tune called Children of the Night. Mm. Mm. Are you familiar with that? Uh, I, it just, it, it's already got me hooked. No, I don't know it offhand, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, it was, you know, it was like, 
you know, just an amazing, well, how, he, he just writes these amazing tunes, and, and uh, you know, he continued with amazing tunes when he was with Miles Davis, and, you know, just kind of a complete, fresh, I'd call that music really fresh, you know, very influential and very fresh, and it's hard to, you know, today, because it was happening, you know, it was being created almost right, you can almost hear it right on the records. Right. Yeah, and... Uh, no, keep going. I mean, it's... it's it yeah. extremely, extremely fresh. Uh, new sounds, you know, you know, borrowing from the, the you know, the, the Charlie Parker bebop era and, and there's come just before. Um, but it had kind of a new, you know, Miles brought in his modal thing and it had kind of a... It had that flavor to it, and um, just extremely fresh. Yeah, I, I in some ways, I I, uh, I just want to finish this story that I got sidetracked because I was I was so excited. But I, I uh, uh-huh. so so um, you know there are spirits on this journey that I've been on, and and one of them, without a doubt, is is Ron Stallings. He keeps coming up in these uh, conversations I have with different people that I've interviewed. Where he, uh, you know, uh, just uh, uh, instrumental in just seeking out p- uh, musicians, you know, guys that would fit into certain experiences, and not to mention the fact that he was just an incredible performer and a singer, and um, yeah. and so I called his um, his wife uh, um, Susan, and I said, yeah. you know, I, I so I saw your picture, and then I I read your. Uh, comments because Susan was kind enough to send me Ron's uh you know this beautiful compilation album and you're talking here about you know Ron being calm at the sessions you were not I was like I gotta find John so I emailed her and she put you know bless her she put me in touch with you so it's it's really uh it's 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 an honor man because those the the thing that's going Miles and Blakey Bird uh, you know Mingus they're gone you know that you we can't get to them anymore you know and 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 yes. in, in a lot of ways, your generation, some of them are, are gone. I mean, you know, John Kahn, huge missing piece of the puzzle. You know, he's, there are people that are Bloomfield gone, you know. But, but, but you guys are still here. And as far as I'm concerned, the last uh, generation of musicians who uh, there was an authenticity to it because of their... It, it, so many of the songs were things that were happening to you you know, in in an organic sense, you were you were more you were able to move. You were more mobile. You know, you were able to move more. You were able to see things more. You weren't uh, internal. You were out outside, experiencing life, seeing humanity, seeing the seeing the uh, imperfections of man. And uh, and and from that came all these incredible songs about romance and life and 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 then the obviously like the stuff that you did with I haven't ever heard it, but you know, like the Billy Harper stuff and the John White. You know. It, it was this uh, this willingness to experiment, take chances, and it's uh, yeah. I mean, try to try to answer that question. I don't even know what I'm asking you, but that's you know, it's <laughs> it's uh, that's what I that's what I that's what I see. You know, from somebody who was not born at that time. You know, so it's it's uh, it's great to have you on the program, really. Oh yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, I mean, that that whole it was it was such a different climate. You know, the pre synthesizer. Uh, I met. Ron, actually, um, well, let me give you a back. I went out and I decided, decided I decided I was going to focus 
on base, right? Mm. Uh, when I went out to San Francisco, because I had a gig with a piano player that I met in Iowa by the name of Bill Bell, and I worked at the what is it, the Half Note, for about I don't know nine months. And, uh, we actually took over for George Duke and Al Checky and uh, John Hurd. And, uh, and and Dick Al- Bur- and Dick Burke, Pete Magadini, those cats. Oh yeah, I remember Dick Burke quite well. Well, yeah, I, I've I interviewed. Uh, yeah, I've interviewed everybody from that half note, uh, from from John to Dick to to George and and uh, and you. So you took over them, and you were playing bass. I was playing bass at the time, mm-hmm. right? And um, but I was all, always in love with the trumpets too. So um, you know, I, I decided, well, I'm going to get you know. One day I decided I'm just going to get the trumpet happening again, and I went out to. Uh, there was a place called the Heliport out in Sausalito. Haven't heard of that all one yet. Guys, all these guys uh, rehearsed. Mm-hmm. You know, all the rock bands rehearsed. Um, I can't, I can't name a few. But at that time, I met John Conn, and um, and uh, he liked some tunes I had brought out, and he actually got me my first Bloomfield gig. Did you? I, I have this vision that somehow the, that all of you wound up like living on the same block or something. Is that is that true or no? I mean, well, that? <laughs> that's not quite. John, I don't know. He he was. I forget he was married to. He eventually married Maria Maldar. You know, right? He moved to L.A. But so I lost a little bit of contact. But Ron Stallings. We had this place called the the Hill, right? And it's still we still have reunions at this place, right? And Ron was out there, guitar player by the name Bruce Horiuchi was out there, uh, known as Makoto now. Wow. Um, um, who else was out there? Well, I, mean, you know, I can't remember like like musicians per se. Actually. Uh, Paul Jackson and Mike Clark and yeah. uh, who later worked with Herbie sure. came through and crashed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, this is great because uh, they had split up with their wives at that time. They were they, they were they were crashing. Uh, actually, not not Mike Clark, Paul Paul. Uh, oh man, I'm, I'm spaced on his last name. It's, uh, you mean the, Paul Jackson, the bass player? Paul Jackson. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean they these guys it it was it was uh it was but I guess looking back on it, like regardless of you know who you you know, if you stayed in contact, but you know, you you met Ron and 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 talk a little bit the first time you met him and I mean you mentioned Okay, me all, okay. Yeah. Well Ron Stallings, uh I was actually recruited after the Bloomfield gig, I was recruited for a gig with a band starting up called Southern Comfort. Mm. And we went out to Bob Jones's house, the drummer, and Ron came in that day. He he just gotten off a, uh, a road trip with Mother Earth, and uh, you know he was 21, I was 24, something like that, and that's where we met in in uh, the formation of, of Southern Comfort. That that uh and 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 then talk about how you guys clicked you know like as a as as friends and then also as as musicians because obviously you guys you know you got pretty tight along the way and you know in music it's you know it's in a lot of ways like you said you know you break up with your wives you know you it's just it's so hard to stay domesticated because if you know it feels great to to play you know 
Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Um, you know, during the formation of that group, I just, it was an amazing simpatico with uh, phrasing with uh, horn lines with Ron. I don't know, do, uh, I guess on that John White album, is, is he on there too? No, no, no. We're we're in for a treat later. I'm going to play some of that. But uh, okay, no, okay. He, I didn't. I no, didn't know. If I can't remember. But we. He's not. He's not. Started, we started. We started playing together, and people really liked the way we sounded together. So we were often hired in in other ventures. Um, but it was it was an amazingly simpatico kind of the time. There was never. It always felt great. You know. <laughs> Ron had this kind of, I don't know how to describe it, he had this kind of like, definitely laid back um, thing that was just ideal for rhythm and blues. I was just like, you know, just deep back there in the pocket. It was so easy just to kind of slide into. Yeah, I, I, it's it is a it's uh, when I listen to Southern Comfort, uh, you guys made one album on Columbia. Uh, yes. In, in, uh, was it yeah, which I wish I could get a hold of, but I have to be able. You know, I I I, uh, I did do some research. There's a there's a copy on eBay right now for like fifteen bucks. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. You know, it's oh, a vinyl cool. copy. I mean, it's it to me. Uh, you know, when I listen to this, uh, it, it it I mean, this kind of predates Tower of Power. It's a bluesier kind of Tower of Power feel. That's what when I when I hear it, uh, that's what I feel. Yeah, um, yeah, um, Tower of Power, I think, was going on at that time. I think the first version of Tower of Power was, was actually happening at that time. Right, and it, it was just, uh, what, what, what works is the, um, although it seems really interesting, you have, you have, uh, like, John Kahn plays piano on one of these songs. So John was playing piano where you were, you were strictly playing trumpet. Yeah, I was strictly playing trumpet on this album, right. Well, let's take a listen to, uh, to John Wilmoth in action here. Southern Comfort, 1969. Right on, Mary.
Right on, man. It holds up pretty well uh, after 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> right on, Mary. Right on, Mary. Right on, Mary, right. You yeah. know, and it's, uh, um, I don't know, I mean, uh, take us back, it, you guys were having fun in the studio then, and I'm, why, in your mind, it, it, it was a powerhouse band, what, what, uh, what, did, why did it not continue to stay together, was it just Columbia wasn't, uh, didn't feel it, or what happened? Yeah, well, our, our album, our contract wasn't renewed, you know, Columbia had this thing where they, at that time, which, you know, you'll probably never hear of again, where they actually would give out over a hundred contracts a year on uh, on the hope that they'd have one or two big money makers. Mm. You know, but music, that kind of music was so popular then, or, you know, especially in the Bay Area, that uh, they could do that. You know, so um, I remember all of us meeting with the record executive, and, you know, we had a contract, and then we got the money, and the lawyer took his half, and then, you know, I went out and bought a, a piano, a Steinway upright piano, uh, uh, a motorcycle, and a stereo the next day, <laughs> all in one day. <laughs> you know, which is like, that's the way we were kind of living, you know, you get money here, and you get money there, and then you, you, you make a laugh. Um. um when it was, uh, yeah, yeah, and um, let's see, yeah. So that's the reason. And then we were going to try to uh, search for other um, other things to do. But by that time, uh, Ron and and I were kind of more interested in following a jazz uh, path. And so we we told them we weren't coming back. And then, I don't know what they, I, I guess the, the group just kind of like uh, fell by the wayside. People got into their own thing. Right. Um, you know, I was going to say, it was so fascinating. One of the things that made that time so interesting was you had so many ethnic, uh, you know, different ethnicities. I was just wondering, did you ever cross paths with uh, Louis Gaska up there? Who? Lou, uh, Louis Gaska. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I actually, I, I worked at base gig with uh, Louie at one time, the, the trumpeter, exactly. trumpeter, yeah. Right, I mean, it just, it was... As a matter of fact, yeah. I, I got one of his horns, believe it or not. <laughs> I got, I mean, I did have one of his horns, because, of course, Miles played a Martin horn, and I had a chance to get one of Louie Gaskin's Martin horns, right? Yeah. A friend of mine by the name of Dave, uh, uh, another trumpet player. Uh, had gotten a hold of it and he needed some money so I bought this Martin Horn that had originally belonged to Louis Gaska and, uh, oh, unbelievable so, so, uh, yeah yeah I think I just worked one gig with uh, with Louis um, I want to go but, you know Louis, Louis was a, a master of the uh, Latin salsa style which I really didn't learn until later at one point in New York I actually became a uh, uh, a salsa arranger for a, a, a band that uh, that this a friend of mine had developed, and uh, th at that time I really learned the style quite well. You know the clave and all that stuff. Yes, no, it, we. I mean, the, the the John Wilmoth story is just really unfolding right now. I, I think 
the the it's pretty, it's, it's pretty all over the place. The, no, I mean, dude, <laughs> it is so it's 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 a gr- it's a great American story, is what it is. But the thing is, you were about to tell a story about you took over for for uh, George Duke and Al Checky and John Hurd, Al Jarreau at the at the half note, and you were playing bass. So the question: yes. Who was in that trio? And then, um, and then, also talk a little bit about, if you would, why you mo- switched from obviously being a, 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 a very gifted bass player to the trumpet, uh, and how that how that took place, why that took place. Um. Well, I always like. I don't know. I always kind of played both, and the trumpet was. Uh, at the same time, I had this idea that uh, back then that I had to choose one to really become good, right? Right. So I kind of focused on the bass for a while, hell bent on succeeding, kind of like, uh, which was totally unnecessary, you know, as far as just the love of music. But that's kind of where my ego was at. You have to remember this, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, maybe called the the underbelly of the scene is, 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 you know, we're all kind of like uh, fighting our egos. <laughs> right. Not fighting them so much, but there's a lot of egocentricity in music, and people get kind of hung up in a variety of ways. I won't go into that. That's a whole, that's a, that's a subject for a book, but anyway. Well, that's what I'm kind of, I'm heading in that direction, so I think that that's something... <laughs> You don't. You don't have to. I mean, I. After well, I, I. I mean, I really admire who I'm talking to now because you're just appreciating it from. Oh man, know. I mean, I've done are you over. A musician yourself? Are you a musician yourself? No, I'm a journalist. You know, and I was. And I was. Okay. And I was born in 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 1978, and I kind of a late bloomer to music in general. But <laughs> as I've studied music, I've I've fit very comfortably into this pocket of time that we're sort of ruminating about that's, right now. And that's amazing. Anyway, let me let me finish my story. Go ahead, yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so I I wanted to get the trumpet back, and actually I'd played it when I first, you know, got to San Francisco, and I had had, you know, uh, the jazz chair and the the, the one o'clock band at uh, North Texas State, and I got to play with Billy Harper and and, and all that. And so, you know, I could play. It was just kind of, um, I could always hear very well, like melodies, you know, Linearly, like melody, I could always pick up very fast. Uh, Chordally, the vertical sounds uh, was was not as good, but I could really hear uh, linearly. So improvisation was something that came fairly naturally to me, just from an ear standpoint. So going out to the holoport, you know, was kind of fun, and they needed horn players. And like I say, I kind of got started playing um, trumpet. But all through this time, I never really gave up the bass, you know, because later on I was able to work on bass gigs with uh, uh, people like Mike Knock in the Fourth Way, Woody Shaw, Bobby Hutchinson, um, whoa, 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 whoa. James, James Moody when he came through town. <laughs> no um, way! You were you were playing bass for, uh, but you just rattled off some names that just blew my mind, dude. Woody Shaw. <laughs> You, yeah, you were playing. Yeah, I was able to work with all these people that were. My, well, see, the fourth way. I mean, you know, I'm a, I, you know, one of the guys who's on the trip with me is, you know, is Ron McClure. You know, I mean, I, he's a oh, great. Oh yeah, yeah, he was the first guy I think in that band. Well, actually, I think the first guy was was uh, James Leary. 
And then and James, the, and then it was James Leary. Yeah, and then it was Ron. Yeah, you got your history down. Well, James. no, but that's this is right in the the fourth way is is in you know Southern Comfort the fourth way. These are the bands. And uh, yeah, yeah, the fourth way was like one of the the first two. Uh, I hear that's that's a real historic band now. I never recorded with the fourth way, but I played with them for a while. Wow, and you and, and, and I, I don't know whether Ron had left town. I mean, Ron was like an amazing, you know, amazing bassist. Well, it sounds so like I don't me, know yeah, why, yeah, why he either left town or got another gig, or but Mike Knock. Uh, like my plane, and uh, I played with him a while. Well, but, you have uh, you have no idea how insane. I I uh, I was talking to John Handy the other day, and yeah. he looks back on that. It's so interesting because here I am chronicling like at the core. I mean, Ron McClure calls me the the, the, the you know the number one fourth way fan of all time. You know, and it's it's true to a degree. But you know, here's John Handy talking about this is the uh, underbelly of what you're referring to. Uh, this idea, whoever, whatever the facts are, I mean, I, I wasn't there, but, you know, he basically said that Michael White, who I just interviewed last week, and, and, and Mike Knock, that, that, that they... Michael White, the guitar player? Not, uh, uh, the violinist. Oh, Michael White, the violinist? Yeah, I, I interviewed him last, last Saturday. I, I, heard he, I heard he died, he's still alive. <laughs> Dude, he's playing his butt off, man. Michael White, the violinist. Oh, I thought... You had heard me on a Michael White. No, 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 no. I, I just was talking about John Handy at that time. You know, the fourth way came off of John Handy had all those guys in his band. You know, there was like Michael White. Yeah, and Mike right. Guy. Yeah, yeah. He he looks I at worked, it. I think I worked one gig with John Handy as well. I guess I you remember, know the the, I, the, the I cannot remember when. Yeah, <laughs> kind of floated around here and there. No, but it's all good. The thing is that that. Uh, that he he told me he's like they stole my band, and he's never forgiven them for it, and he's fractured these relationships. And it's like I I don't know what happened, but uh, you know it's <laughs> you know it's like it's like it, it's like I know, and 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 the thing, John is he's a he's a he's a brilliant, smart cat, and and I just I was telling him at the end of the conversation, you know, I said, dude, you know. Let your ego go a little bit before, while you guys are not, you know, your souls and spirits are still on the earth, and you guys can at least, you know, say, you know, catch up and just say what's up. And uh, yeah, he said, wow, you know, wow, yeah. yeah. But it's just it's it's, it's, it's it's funny how entrenched that stuff can get. You know, exactly. I mean, you, you, you say like, well, you know, these are smart cats, but when it comes to an emotional level, <laughs> you know, they they. Um, I can speak for myself as well. You know. That that's that's the that's the hard stuff to deal with, you know. It is, and on the thing about emotional yeah. on an emotional level. Uh, you know? it, it's, it's, I mean, think you know, you think about the directions. Well, the reason it sparked it was I called him because you know I'm I'm I'm, I'm looking at this John Handy album and it's, he he it was Ralph Gleason that the great reporter in San Francisco. He 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 said at the top of the album, "This is this will be this will be the the." Uh, uh, a quintet that we will hear from very much in the future, and it was Jerry Hahn, Michael White, uh, John Handy, Don Thompson, and uh, bassist uh, Clark, and uh, and oh Terry Clark, Terry wow. Clark, right, exactly the Canadians, and uh, I didn't even know those guys. Okay, yeah. So, but 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 that band dissolved a year later. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it was like this stuff is uh, it, it does get entrenched, and. Um, 
But, um, you know, it's not like it stopped anybody's career, but, you know, you, you look back, I look back at this time and I see the collaborations in music, and it doesn't mean that everybody's, you know, you know you, you're, you're, you're friends at that time, but you move on just like anything in life, you know? And that's something I try yeah. to keep in mind along the way is that this was a period, a pocket of history, but, you know, things don't stay static. Uh, the problem is I just don't like the direction that music in general is going, you know? It's just, to me, it's... Uh, chop shops and you know it's a really it's 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 corporate driven in its own way and it's not a there's not enough live places or accessibility and you know as a result and also uh you know you've taken they say you take music out of the schools they've taken music out of the uh, out of the, the minority schools so that you don't have african-americans hispanics those the the ethnic cats to be able to learn how to play instruments be able to express themselves that way that to me is is the the tragedy of this time period is that it's like it, it easily could. I totally, I totally agree. I was a, a music teacher for fifteen years in the New York schools. Can you talk about that and how you saw ch- the the scene just change? Um. Yeah. I just well, when I got there, it was you know the the hip hop thing and um. You know, at one point I kind of got into it was the late nineties. Um, with uh, uh, Tupac, who was the other guy? The guy that they both got shot. Yeah, Biggie, which, right? Which, Biggie, yeah, yeah right. You know, I mean, uh, Buster Rhymes. That like, Buster Rhymes is just funny as hell to me. You know, <laughs> but this was a time when I kind of thought it was, you know, it was a creative new. I I kind of enjoyed listening to some of those sure. things. You know, if you know what I mean, rhythmically, sure. those guys, sure. to me, were just ge- absolute geniuses. Uh, you know, I had no idea how they could phrase all that and get it all in and, you know, uh, you know, not knowing music, not knowing anything about music. Um, it was just all kind of an intuitive thing. So, uh, but, you know, being out of the, you know, trying to teach melody and the aspects of, you know, Duke Ellington, Miles Davis. They just weren't hearing it, you know. They just were not hearing it. Why not? Yeah, and, and that's the... That's it the did con- not... See, you know, I, can I tell you an interesting story? Go ahead. Just, just, off, the, yeah. just off the cuff. Mm-hmm. I was listening to The View or something like that. Some, some day, you know, that talk show? Sure. One day. And this guy came on and I can't remember his name, but he his, his voice sounded exactly like Frank Sinatra. This is a black dude, right? Mm-hmm. And he came on, he sounded exactly, he was a young guy. But somehow, you know, the phrasing was not how Frank did it, you know? It was not, it was not, it was, it was just like, it was stiff around the edges, you could tell that the guy hadn't grown up listening to those, to those, uh, didn't have that, you know, uh, the Dukes, the uh, the Monks, the, the Miles, you know, that, that kind of, you could tell that. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the program, they're snapping their fingers to one, the ladies are snapping their fingers to one of those songs. Joy and Whoopi, right, two ladies, were like right there in the pocket snapping, you know, and and then the two young ones, Sherry and Elizabeth, whatever her names, you know, it's like 
they had their bodies going in this very stiff motion. It just really told me something mm -hmm. about exposure to that kind of loose, loping kind of feel that was jazz and how that's, how that's become lost among the youth. That, that's a really uh, amazing... Uh, you nailed it. I mean, I, the thing is that... Just by snapping their fingers, I could see it. I could feel it, you know. Mm -hmm. I could feel these people have been exposed to Frank, to Ella, to, you know, to, they, they've heard the real thing. And they're in their 60s, like me, right? Right. It's just, it was an amazing experience. Well, in, my, in many ways, uh, you know, I'm on the cusp of, uh, I'm sort of that last generation that, uh, I, was, I was born in the 70s. I mean, you know, you, you still had uh, sort of this... Um, I don't know how to. It, it was it was before the the uh, the, the the electric uh, the electric drums and the synths, and I I don't understand the the sound. Uh, things got sped up, um, messages uh, dwindled. I, I I do after 180 interviews though with your generation and some a little bit older, some a little bit younger. <laughs> you know, it's it it has to do with life experience. The guy's phrasing was 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 off um, in part because you know I mean Sinatra was a real person. Uh, I, I have no yeah, doubt that he. Right. I, I have no doubt that he had a couple of, of of bodyguards here and there, but he didn't have an entourage. He didn't live in a bubble. He lived. You know I mean it was a and all you guys. I mean you were playing this gritty music and you might be playing. I remember Richard Green, the the, the violinist. He, you know he was playing with Bill Monroe. And he talked about playing in like a farmhouse uh, in in New Hampshire somewhere uh, in front of five people who had a total of three teeth. You know, <laughs> it's like you know it was uh, it, it, it was just it, so so you guys you know I mean my dad who's your generation more and he listens to him and what he loves the most when he listens to because he's not he's more of a classical music fan and he and I've gone off into this air born to this area that you know it's kind of unfamiliar territory but he. How interesting! He he loves he he loves how humble you guys are, and um that's the other part of it. It's it's sort of this drive toward individualism, whereas before, you know, they made it very clear, like on this John White album that we'll listen to. I mean, there are pictures of all of you on there. You all played a contributing role, and the contributor was was very much uh, it was not lost on the on the people that were enjoying this. John stuff. White, the guitar player. Now right. I got it. Right, exactly. Michael White violin, John White yeah, okay, guitar. Okay, I got it. Yeah, you're good. But 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 what I'm trying to say is now you you wonder why Elizabeth Hasselback and all these you know the, 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 they're just not getting it. It's because everything is so individually drawn now. You have these sing just individual singers, or the band is in the back. It's not about the accompanists anymore. It's just it's this singular individualism, and um, not having a critical ear and not being able to dance that loose gritty dance because. You know, everything is so uh, produced now. It's got you know, and, and you have to please the audience. And I, I just tend to think you guys were playing from your hearts, but you were also playing to, to keep your chops up, and 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 uh, and you were playing what you wanted to hear, and the audience could decide whether they liked it or not. But that's not; it's been reversed now. That's that's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, you really, you really, you really developed a, a beautiful. Uh, Overview of this stuff, which you're kind of you're kind of like um, amazing that you kind of uh, born into a family that you know, listens to classical music and now uh, and you kind of uh, went back 
a lot. <laughs> I guess it does happen today. There's people like young people who grow up. Uh, uh, we have a thing um, called Jazzmobile in New York. I've heard. Yeah, I've heard. What, can you, what is that? What is that exactly? It's just a. It's just a teaching facility that meets a couple of months a year on Saturdays and. Uh, very traditionally oriented, you know, very traditional, like, you, you know, they, the singers are, are going to sing um, songs from the Great American uh, Songbook, and um, theory, music theory, as it applies to jazz, and uh, it's, it's a nice thing. I haven't done it. I'm probably a little too advanced a musician, right, to really benefit, but, but I do study with one of the teachers, uh, there. I, and, uh, well, you know, I, 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 uh, I, you know, I've, I've done this, uh, this radio show. I, I've for over twenty months, and um, you know, I've, I'm, I really am looking. I'm anxious to, to. I believe I've developed some good thesis that I, you know, I, I want to get it out into the, into the public because I, um, I just think it's, it's important, especially at a time when we're. It's clear that. Um, that we are, uh, you know, becoming more callous, and uh, you know, this is an important thing because I, 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 I'm being driven by spirits that are, you know, I don't even know who they are. But you know, the opening of my, the intro of my show, when you listen to our interview back, the opening of my show, I give homage, basically saying, I say, uh, you know, on a on a on a um, on a mission given to me by Woody Shaw, <laughs> Sunship. Uh, uh, dizzy, yeah, right. yeah. dizzy, and uh, dizzy and Billy Higgins. You know, those are the that's the that's the heart of the of of that the, just that's the beauty of our country and 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 for some reason uh, so much cynicism has crept in now and everything is just so sort of seen from sort of this political bent that it, it takes away all the the unique beauty of it and uh, I, oh, the only way what I, way I know how to do to keep myself sane is to go back in time and find the people that I I'm truly in, in lockstep with you know so that's I mean that's uh, I just wonder how many I, I wonder how many more are still there you know that I, I just have to keep digging deeper and deeper you know <laughs> yeah right um, it's okay I mean the, well, the and, you know Ron passed away about three to four years ago uh, you know it's it's true and, yeah and and uh, you know it, it's uh, and, and John Kahn is no longer with us now, you know, another guy that I really enjoyed listening to, and I didn't think, I think about anything at the time that I recorded with, was Nick Gravenites. Right, right. I mean, that guy, I, list, I went back and listened to some just beautiful, beautiful songs. Talk about that feeling, uh, that innocent, that, you know, and plus he had such a resonant, gorgeous voice that, you know, I mean, he knew blues. Backwards and forwards, man. It was it was just great to hear him, and he's still kicking. That's one guy that you might try to. No, I know. I I need to. Uh, uh, but this 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 I, I will get to it. I we're we're talking to John Wilmoth, and I, I'll tell you this this album, one of my favorite albums of all time. Uh, I'm just going to read the lineup here: John White guitar, Merle Saunders electric piano and organ, Phil Wilson. Oh, Merle. Phil Wilson on Phil Wilson on drums, Hadley Callaman, another spirit on tenor, 
John, and this is his classic. They spell, okay, they spell your name John Will Math. W I L. Okay, yeah. right, right. And, and yeah, that, they got that wrong. Yeah, right. So it's Will Math. Uh, we'll get a letter out to him. Um, on Trump, <laughs> on trumpet, uh, I believe it's Jack Williams on trombone or Jock, Jock Williams on trombone, Dale Smith, Terry Hensley on bass. I don't know either of those cats. John, this guy, all he's known as is Jay Burr on conga. Robert Williams apparently sings some vocals on this, and Sonny Red on alto sax. So uh, I want to play a, a, a tune, a little bit of this tune, and we'll come back and, you know, we'll talk about it. It's hard, hard for me to, t hard for me to tell. I think that. Wow, I forgot that I actually soloed on that album. Wow. <laughs> Dude, I. This is the greatest story. This is why this is a, a great trip, because this. I, I would I, love to get a hold of that album. You know how you can get it. We'll, 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 we'll go. We'll talk off air about it. I'll get you a copy. You don't oh, worry. okay. Yeah. Sure, sure. No, no, yeah. but, 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 uh, but you know, um, this. I listened to this all the way through a couple times. You know, pr prior to, to this interview. And I'm like, I don't hear John soloing on this. And then this morning, right after I called you, and you're like, all right, I'll let me get to a landline, I put on, I just was like, I'm going to just check this track out. And all of a sudden, I'm like, there, there's his solo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall it, yeah, because... You know, it's it's a very... Um, you know, was high, I was hired primarily as, a, you know, arts player. Right, wow. exactly. I mean, it's just, it, but it, to me, it was like uh, I. One of the things I wanted you to talk about was studio sessions 
at that time because it, what what it seemed to me there was a lot more sharing. Of course, I, I'm not in the studios today in any way, shape, or form. But it wasn't. There was no talk about that. You know, sort of how um, you know producers in some ways, whether it was Orrin Keep News or other people on the West Coast. Uh, you know that they kind of if they stayed out of your hair and let you guys be able to share ideas with each other and, and, and that kind of organic process because the music, it, doesn't come, it comes across as unstructured beauty, at least this album. Mm, yeah. Um, a lot of licks and that type of thing were, were made up right, right on the spot. Oh. Um, um, I remember myself as, like, I, I made take over harmonically, you know, as far as, far as like, uh, you know, I, I'd be playing, being the trumpet player, I'd be playing the top part, and then I'd, I'd show a part to um, the alto player, the tenor player, or we just do a unison, you know, it's like, uh, so a lot of the recording was like that, you know, a, a guy would get an idea, and then we'd, we'd, uh, we'd play it, um, uh, I remember Ron coming up with some, he's not on this album, but he's coming up with great ideas. And uh, I think they were looking for some guy to take over, and I just kind of like stuck my, you know, stuck my neck out there. And, and I could hear parts pretty well, so I, I would take over the part plane, that type of thing. But like I say, the main point is a lot of this, these lips were made up right on the spot. And what, and what, is, that, what, is, that, what is that feeling like uh, musically to be that improvisational? at that time. That's impressive. What's it like to, to be that? I'm, I'm, well, you're just reacting to what's being laid down, you know. You're, right, but I mean, you're you know, not, it's you not like... In, you you, you yeah. hear the track for the first time, and uh, you, you, um, you, know, you, just, you just kind of, whatever comes to mind, that's what you're going to play in the background. You you know more and more the music and the music wasn't that hard although a lot of the trumpet a lot of them I believe that that piece that we just heard was in E so I'm playing it in the key of F sharp major which is not the easiest to do on trumpet but no but but here's it was fairly simple what you hear hear and react to what I, what I think made you guys elastic musicians and the ability for you guys to be a jack-of-all-trades community is the idea that there was a lot of spur-of-the-moment creativity and spontaneity. And, you know, you had to play. You had to think it up on the spot. You know, you weren't getting the charts in advance. Like, you might get them 20 minutes in advance. You've got to figure it out and go and just play. You know, and, and now there, what, I hear from, what I hear from a lot of teachers, especially at the university levels, you know, the younger cats, they can play, you know, perfect. I mean, they can play it note, I know, they're amazing. note for note. You know, I mean, they're just, they're just, they're just like, you know, it's just totally perfect in, insofar as the ability to copy. But when you yeah. ask them to go outside the comfort zone and just swing it, you know, whether it's just, you know, sort of what the company, you know, a lot of it's probably corporately geared. How, how do people, we have to market this a certain way. And there's a lot of control, whereas before it was more like, actually, the the beauty came from total spontaneity. And for some reason, that younger generation, because lack of lack of accessibility, meaning venues to be to be able to go out and play live and just get comfortable with yourself, and the fact that um, so there's not that many places to go out, and also 
as a society, we're more reclusive than we were before. People can enjoy things in, in their high-definition environments, and they don't necessarily yes. need it. Oh, yeah. You it, know? It's real. So it's like... It's, yeah, it's, it's so changed. It's so changed. It is, yeah. But that, but 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 I think that it's what what can come back is is the idea of, you know, um, being like you said, being naturally a gifted musician, but also having the opportunities to go outside your comfort zone and and just kind of play on the spot. That to me is is how confidence is. You know, you you grow from that. Mm, mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, interesting take on the on that. But also, yeah, you and yeah. then and then of course you I had. I mean, even yeah. even uh, certainly in the jazz world, when you know, I'm sure you've heard the stories when Miles made the kind of blue album. No, I have. I know. Guys had never had never played. He just bought in a couple of sketches, and everything there was like a first take. Incredible. <laughs> that's in is, that, is, is that incredible? That, that's I don't know. I never heard. I didn't. New. Yeah. That was a brand new sound, uh, the modal sound. It was a brand new, well, maybe not brand new, but it was it was very new sound. It, it was the most um, influential album probably ever made. And, and it was, here these guys, they yeah. had no idea what they were going to play. It was a few sketches, and they said, okay, let's do a take, and that's the one you hear in the album. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> Total spontaneity, you know, total spontaneity. You know, how great, talk about just the the idea of, like, give John Wilmoth, like, in 1971, um, if you were, like, I, I was looking at some, like, banner or flyer from the Great American Music Hall from 74, and it was, like, Friday night, Cal Jader, Saturday night was, like, you know, some sort of wild, and then Sunday afternoon was Azteca, you know, maybe Joe Henderson. It's yeah. like I, 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 can, I played with that band too, Azteca. You did. Yeah. Oh, that's the see. That's the okay. That's the number one. That's the yeah. Later on, after the, after the first formulation, that the, was a great band. Now those were charts, though. Those were all charts. I think written by um, that really un unbelievable trumpet player, uh, Tom. Uh, Tom Harrell. Uh, Tom, Tom Hill. Yeah, Tom Harrell. Yeah. Tom Harrell. Yeah. He he's incredible. I saw him at the Village Vanguard maybe fifteen. He was unbelievable. You know, just a smoker. Yeah, I know he's ridiculous. Just but, like but 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 that band. I mean, it was an overt appeal to to what America is, and yet mm -hmm. we're we're still fighting that fight in in even more like media driven way now, forty years later. But that was already we already knew that's what America was forty years ago. That's the issue, you know. When you really look oh, at it, yeah. I mean, you, you you were combining George Moribus and Flip Nunez. So you had Filipino, you had Asian. Flip, yeah. Flip, ah. I mean, these are, these guys these guys are the heroes of our society, you know. And and they don't get any acclaim yet. That they were already making statements about what this country stood for, uh, in, in, yeah. in the most powerful way, which is in a musical form. But so Tom left the band, and they and they brought you in. Is that is that how it worked? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know if Tom had gotten a gig with Horace Silver by that time. I'm not sure. Maybe he moved to New York, but yeah, I got the gig after. No, no, actually, no. Um, Eddie Marshall got the gig, and then Eddie had some things to do. And I, I took over for a brief period, maybe like 
six six months or so. But that was just like a, really a great band. Coke Escovito and uh, Tom Grusin, the pianist. Uh, uh, was Victor yeah, was Victor Pantoja was, was in the was band? It was a marvelous uh, yeah. band. It's so well arranged because of uh, Tom's arrangements. Dude, it's some of the slickest, funkiest, like boogie. It's, uh, it's. I mean, the albums they recorded, you were not on. But you know, I, I look back yeah. at that. Doug, yeah. that's the the album we we're not going to get to today. But uh, the, I, I found it at a at a at a uh, at a thrift store for like twenty five cents. Was was Doug Sam's Groover's Paradise. And Am I on that? <laughs> yeah, Ron. Ron and you were on, on that. Okay, yeah. good. Okay. Ron and Ron and you were on that. a while with Doug. Yeah. Right. Ron, Ron and you were on that, and then and then they bring in uh, the, the Timbales with uh, Johnny Ray. You know, so they were doing all this stuff like they were bringing in the Latin sound, and they were bringing in the 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 so the Afro-Cuban sound was there, and they also you had you had a lot of musicians moving to the west coast the east coast music scene talked about this with george duke a little bit like the east coast jazz musicians who moved out to the west coast really solidified the jazz scene at around the same time that you and ron kind of made that conscious decision or unconscious decision that you wanted to move in that direction yeah uh yeah yeah it's the 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 uh, but tell me a little bit about just the opportunities to be able to see, uh, you know, guys that you got off on on a live basis consistently at very accessible venues where you were up close. You were able to really feel the music and maybe even you know rap with them afterwards and hang with them, maybe even jam with them. Yeah, well, Woody was one. Uh, Woody Shaw was one. I remember he would have a session on. Uh, I don't know, Monday nights or one of those things, and he would bring cats up, and, and, you know, we'd play. And then later on, I started working on bass with him for a few gigs. And, um, you know, he was he was one. He was maybe... I never got to know him, you know. He was kind of this rough New York cat, but all about the music, you know, just so all about the music. Maybe kind of scared me for no reason. Uh, no, no, no. I actually, it's it's really, really funny that uh, you know I, I've I've interviewed uh, you know so many like uh, the skipper Henry Franklin who played bass with him and uh-huh. and George Cables. I'm not sure who was in the band when you were, played bass with him, but uh, Woody was an absolute. And I interviewed Nat Hentoff, the great writer who who's very close with Woody. And uh, you know he was uh-huh. he was he. There's no doubt that he was a genius. Uh, he he was a genius. I think so. Um, he he came into a, a, a session called uh, back in contemporary. He was with Art Blakey at the time. Blakey, yeah. Blakey came into town, and uh, Lester Koenig at uh, at uh, contemporary brought him in, and he wanted to do an album called Song of Songs. And and the skipper said that he he came into the session with all he had four five tunes. Everything was in his head. Everything was in his head. And, and not written out. In no, head. no, yeah. it was in his head. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, so, 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 so there was a, he was, it, people were in awe of him. He was also, I think, um, you know, he, he, uh, he definitely had some psychological problems as well. I mean, he, he was very, I think he was mentally ill. And, and, and it's interesting because the interview I did, an interview I did with Nat Hentoff that I haven't released yet, Nat talks about him winding up 
dead on a New York subway back in the late, uh, maybe the 80s. And nobody, he, Nat, even though he's up there now, he even, he just, he goes, nobody really knows what happened to him, you know? Uh, yeah. Well, he, I know he had, a, he, had a, he had a drug problem. Have you, have you been able to talk to Mike Clark? Uh, the drummer. Mike and I did two interviews. Yeah, <laughs> Mike and I have talked. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, he used to, he used to, you know, take um, take Woody around for his uh, connections. I, I guess, you know. Yeah, Mike and I are, uh, we're, we're, I love his presence on Facebook is so strong because he brings that sort of Oakland, uh, that old school. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's nice. It's nice to. It's nice to. Well, he's very active still, but also he. Uh, I just like his his vibe, you know. He he just kind of tells it like it is, and because he had these experiences with these, and I think that's the point, John, is that 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 you got to see Art Blakey, and you got to uh, you got yeah. to see, and yeah. you got to and you got to ha- you had mentors all over the place, and they all looked different, they all played different instruments, and and they were all open about saying, yeah, come 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 play on this session, or you know, I, and and that that that, that it's. That whole uh, thing has broken down uh, to the point where it's just you know very it's just very um, cutthroat. And then on top of that, not like there was a lot of money in the past at all, but uh, you know you have you know basically uh, clubs now saying musicians have to pay to play now. So it's it's a that's the way that's the way it is. Yeah, you have to you know you go in and you, you drop your five bucks and then you can play. <laughs> You're right. Exactly. Uh, but I, I don't know if you uh, well that's great you've interviewed Mike because he's he's a He's a key one, and still, still very successful today, working you know around the globe. Very active with Mike in, Wolf. He, he lives in New York. Um, what, what was that? What was that? Oh, just one. We actually formed my closest, really Oakland experience is Mike, Paul, and uh, Vince Denham, who's a who's an LA trumpet player, you know, uh, and myself formed. Uh, a group, and it was called Group Therapy. Everybody <laughs> was into the primal scream at that time. Right. That's going to cure everybody. You know, Jarnoff, a famous book called The Primal Scream. So we're, you know, we're going out in cars, like, you know, and screaming, right? You know, but, you know, so we called the group Group Therapy, and it was actually active for about, I don't know, just a minute. And then uh, Vince Denham got a gig with Don Ellison. You know, he was he was he was one of the you know kingpins of the group, so it kind of broke down. But uh, that was quite an experience. I did a lot of arranging and and uh, crazy time. You know, we got a few gigs and. Um, no, I love I love Mike. Uh, Mike, uh, you should listen to the interviews I did with Mike because his he is hysterical. At one point, you know, Herbie he was talking about joining the Headhunters. Herbie was thinking about bringing him as the drummer. They had a session, and they and he got involved, and they were and and he Mike at the time was you know a very in demand session player. He's playing with Vince Guaraldi and all these guys, and um, you know he uh, he said that um, you know he could have he was he was due to make a lot more money uh, to just play around, and 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 uh, Herbie was like, well, you know, you come on the road with with the Headhunters, we'll have a blast, and uh, it'll be a world, it'll be uh, international. And uh, and 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 uh, I can't guarantee you more money, but it'll well, you know it'll be great. And he and he did it. And that was sort of your uh, Eddie Henderson did a very similar thing as well. I mean, he could have gone into psychiatry. The dollar signs were everywhere. The doctor, the jobs were everywhere. Yet he chose to do yeah, a, right. He chose to do something more spiritual. 
And it wasn't following a deity or a god. It was something that was about human uh, collaboration. And that is more organic and, and, and life-affirming than, than anything that's uh, happening now. And, 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 and you guys are some of the last people that can truly articulate how our values have changed so much, being that you are people that do uh, a, lot, a fair amount of introspection. <laughs> and uh, you are constantly balancing your ego, and uh, you're actually secure enough to talk about this kind of stuff. Whereas, you know, there's a lot of people who just want to pretend that, you know, we're all robots now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I mean uh, Mike be, be, uh, became a practitioner of Nietzsche and Buddhism, which I was for uh, quite a while myself. I'm more into the meditative aspects of spirituality now, but I think it's you know it's 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 uh, there is still a strong uh, spiritual motivation in society yes. among certain elements because that kind of um, opportunity to play spirituality is is kind of like not in society as much as it was. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and, and then the actually, I was coming down to Arizona uh, for uh, quite a while. I became involved with this uh, this uh, book writer who's actually pretty much of a mystic uh, by the name of David Hawkins. He's in poor health now, but I went down to Sedona quite a bit. I got very turned on by his teachings. Wow. So I know where you're from, man. <laughs> well, no, the funny you're going to love this. Uh, uh, you're you're going to, but I mean, I'm a New York guy. <laughs> I moved out You're here. New York guy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, but I moved. But, Get uh, but out of here! Wow. Yeah. No, I'm a long, I'm a Stony Brook, Long Island, and I went to I went to I was on, I went to school at Boston University. So I mean, I'm an East Coast guy through and through. But I came here in '03 into Tucson, and which is has similar to, topography uh, to Sedona and the mountains. And my whole life changed yeah. for all the incredibly. You know, uh, my my fam. I met my wife. We had kids. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I have been a teacher, and then on top of this, now I found this spiritual path where I've, I've really connected spiritually to this brotherhood, and uh, so I owe every, I owe almost all personal growth to, uh, to Tucson. It's, it's a spiritual place through and through. It's not perfect, and yeah. you know, there's, yeah. a, there's a ceiling to it, but, um, but I would be uh, foolish to turn my back on, uh, on, on, a, on a beautiful place like this. And, and I, I guess my, the question is why. Why was that that sort of uh, spirituality, uh, you know, uh, why was it uh, uh, in society at one time, and why is it less now? How has it been taken away, and why? Well, I don't know if it's less so much as... Well, let me let me let me let me let me change it here. See, I, I run in I run in kind of like spiritual thinking uh, circles, so. But I guess uh, you know, I mean, there's circles where that's entirely absent. It's hard to say. You know, it's it's hard to say. Uh, it's just uh, I, I wish I could be more articulate, and I'm stumbling now. No, it, it, well, I think that, I don't think it. I don't think it's left so much is as. As machines of kind of there's excitement with machines, and machines can only take you so far. There's excitement with technology, especially among the youth, and that that uh, comes at a price. and And I think it'll just take a while to 
right. I think, I think it'll it'll kind of turn first full circle, not full circle, but it'll go back. There's, in other words, it's almost more polarized. There's the eagle, you know, in capital letters, and then there's the uh, the world is trying to get beyond the eagle. People who see that, so it's it's kind of like two, almost two societies that people run in. That make any sense? Um, yeah, I think you're just getting started, man. <laughs> Huh? I think you're just getting started. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, that's true. I mean, uh, it's hard when you have that kind of, uh, I, you know, it's it, it, we're not going to digress into this right now. <laughs> not, we're not going to go off in this direction. Um, but Yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, as far as now goes, I'm retired. I'm a retired music school teacher, so I can kind of develop, you know, I can kind of do full-time uh, music, and I can do it on my terms, or I can do spirituality study, you know, on my terms. So, you know, it's like. What was it about? What I was it about? Like anybody else, yeah. but uh, I'm in a really good place as, as far as being able to do what I want at this point. So, well, that and, and you know, that's yeah, you're blessed. You're blessed like that. You know, I mean, it, it's. Um, I think most people, you know, at your point in your. Uh, life, you know, I think that that's all they can ask for is, is to have some autonomy um, and some ability to uh, to uh, be your own, you know, um, be, be your own uh, steward, you know, and I, 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 I see uh, I see a lot of guys from my generation, girls as well, um, I'm a little disconnected only because I'm, I'm a father with, and, uh, you know, I'm married, I'm not out, like, you know, scoping out really what's happening, but I think the you know there's a there's a feeling in a lot of sectors that these jobs that you get locked into are um there there's you hit a certain ceiling and there's no real creativity there's no ability to um keep growing as a you know there's not enough uh, uh um, flexibility within systems for people to change their styles and and just like in music so you get stagnant and people are literally, literally quitting jobs now you know i mean that's the that's 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 the amazing i mean i heard a statistic today arizona is a unbelievably um oxymoronic state i mean it's just a wild state you have uh these beautiful places like where hawkins was teaching in sedona you have you know some beautiful all this beautiful ge geography and yet, yet we have the second highest poverty rate and people they were on the radio talking about how uh for child protective services they had something like a few hundred a certain percentage of their force just quit their jobs they're way understaffed and yet more kids are in foster care than ever so you're, you've seen a breakdown of the family as well it's really quite a remarkable situation and i think that uh all you can do is take what you have in front of you and 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 sort of direct you know direct yourself and i think that that's 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 a pretty important thing and then try to be as um and then just try to be as as, as uh, influential within your communities as you can possibly be. Yeah, yeah. I wanted yeah, to ask you. Before. Yeah, that, that's that's for sure. Yeah, uh, go ahead. There's uh, not much you can do about change in society, but you can do a lot about changing yourself. That's what I will get. It. What do you think about this idea that uh, what you said before, though, about you know? Are, are you just supposed to wait for the dead wood to fall off, meaning people that are just 
they they are ego driven, and they're and they and then the people that could be on the ego. Do those people that that are behind the curve, do they just have to die off? Or how do you, enlightenment's not going to ever come to everybody. So when does that sort of cyclical thing, what would be the logical way for that to flip back? Is it going to take some sort of, some sort of collapse? Or, I mean, how do you feel? What do you feel about that inside? Um, you mean, as far as, you know, I, I can't, I can't predict the future. Like to tell you the truth, I can. I no, 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 I don't want you to predict the future. I'm just but, trying to. But, yeah. but you know, uh, I think more and more people are coming to some kind of like, uh, particularly in America, uh, people are coming to some kind of realization that hey, there's you know, there's more than the rat race. There's more than the almighty dollar. We have, if we unfortunately, uh, you know, I can say that being a retiree much easier than a than a thirty year old or a you know, 20, 20 something year old mm-hmm. now. But there's more than that, and I think people just like their life experiences uh, uh, will lead them, uh, I don't know, back to, I, I don't want to use the term God, but I'll, I'll use it now, just kind of, kind of lead them back in a, in a more um, altruistic, holy direction, because that's, that's where our happiness, that's where our happiness lies. Right. And it's no, it's no easy path. I think people avoid it, you know. I mean, there's that man in the mirror that we all kind of avoid, but eventually we, we come to the point where, uh, hey, you know, that's who I have to deal with. That's the only person, that's the only person I have control of. <laughs> so I can't really control the outside so much as, and, and you changing inside is going to affect much more the outside uh, than all the causes you could be involved in your life. That's the way I feel. You know. In other words, what changes inside is going to radiate out, outwards. That's great. It's great stuff, John. I, but, but, you know, before we, uh, before we adjourn for the day, uh, I wanted to... Uh, <laughs> I want. I wanted to ask you about a a, a guy in the Bay Area um, uh, that worked with you uh, that you got a chance to work with. But I, when I brought up his name, you kind of were ready to go off. Was uh, Merle Saunders? I was hoping you could talk about his significance to that scene that we've been kind of discussing for the last hour or so. Oh, I love Merle. He was such a uh, relaxed, easygoing soul. Oh, just loved him, and what a player! I mean, what a what a what a funky, great player, both in the jazz and the rhythm and blues, you know. Right. I can't, I can't say enough about Merle. Um, you know, I mean, both, you know, it was a pleasure to play with him. I got to play with Jerry Garcia through Merle. Um, when did you play with Garcia? Well, uh, Jerry was uh, involved in all these little side groups, and one of them was with Merle. So, uh, Merle and Jerry would get these side gigs, and I'd, I'd be on trumpet, you know, on, on these, these that, gigs. That, was that with uh, the, the, the Sacramento drummer Bill Vitt? Bill Vitt? I, it is, is not, his name rings a bell. <laughs> Dude, uh, Bill Vitt? I my, think so, I think so, but I can't really... Uh, I can't remember Merle, maybe, I'll probably play an organ, organ pedals. 
<laughs> no, no. Hold on. I really know. We, no, but John, this is. I think John Kahn uh-huh. played with uh, Merle from time to time. I can't remember all the guys in the band. What about what about a, a possible date? Was it like seventy four, seventy five in that range, or what, what, when do you think that was? Uh, I would say a little slightly early, maybe seventy two, seventy three. Right. So you're you're looking at, uh, and so you were playing. Uh, uh, were you playing with Martin Fierro at all, or was it? Were you playing? Oh Trump? yeah, Martin. I went out on the road with Martin Fierro. Yes. Um, with Doug Sam. Right. Yeah. Well, no. Martin. Is yes. he still alive? I don't know. I, you know. You know who's still alive is Caesar Escarunas. Is that? Is that name ring a bell? No. That guy. There were. There were maniacs. You were one of the maniacs. And if you were, if you're, if you were crazy enough to be out there at that time, then. You were just on your own. <laughs> you you were your own trip anyway, man. You know, I I yeah. honestly can't even envision how insane, uh, what a beautiful time. Every and then all these just sort of larger than life characters who were totally. Uh, I think they were they were enlightened. You know, it, it was uh, you know from from Merle to to Eddie Marshall to Ron Stallings to. Bobby Hutcherson, Hadley Callaman. Um, just it, it's 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 a it's a beautiful uh, it, it's a it's a it's actually a really a joy to, to chronicle this because it breathes life into me every day. And and that's I, wonderful. I'm, I'm I'm glad I'm glad you're doing it. I'm really glad you're doing it because um, you know it's very interesting to me. And uh, like I say, I'll, I'll look up on eBay. For See if I can get a hold of that Southern Comfort record, and um, and uh, if you can somehow locate that uh, that John White album. Well, I, I mean, uh, I have one. I have a one copy on vinyl, and I'll tell you, it is. It's going to be hard to part with. I mean, it's it's really. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't have to part with it. But yeah. Maybe if you, if you ever heard of it, you know. Well, I can. Sure. I know you can buy a. a I'll, I'll forward. Do you check your email? I would, I would never. I would never ask you to part with anything, man. You know? No, no, no. I've actually. I mean, I. You're, I, you're becoming a, like the, the prime historian. You um, know, no. The funny thing is that uh, Big Black, the Congo player, uh, requested. This Chief Bay album, and so uh, I've made some people's lives by sending them some of these albums. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, but I, I, I mean, because I mean, I've played through this enough, uh, and quite frankly, I mean, to see to see the people on this album, it's like I, I just, it's a lot more. It resonates a lot more with me than uh, anything going on, um, you know, today. The 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 thing I wanted to ask you: How did you know that John Con? Liked some of the tunes you did, John. What? Excuse me. How did you know? Like you mentioned before, John. You said John Con liked some of the music, the music that you were arranging and writing. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I brought in a couple of tunes because I they were more on the jazz side, um, and I would bring in tunes. As a matter of fact, a couple weren't recorded by Southern Comfort. I guess they might have been a little too hard, or they they didn't make the commercial. What can you say? Um, but I have several tunes from back then that, that cats would just like, you know, with, with much more uh, complicated changes. Oh, do you have do you have any record? I would and, love and, to and, hear and, some and, of those. And the blues that was going on. So guys would enjoy playing because it was a challenge. Yeah, right. Did you did you do you have any of those recordings? 
I don't have those particular tunes. I have recordings of stuff uh, later on that was kind of followed the similar paths. It, it, you know, it's not. Uh, I have I have some on tape. Actually, I, I one of my bucket list items is to record some tunes that have never been recorded that I have in my arsenal. Oh, that, you have to and, do that. And I, I really want to do that. I'm just kind of like uh, um, trying to get myself up for it. You know, <laughs> kind of like saying, well, this music isn't relevant anymore, blah, blah, blah. Uh, no, I, well, listen, why don't, I mean, like, I don't know, uh, I would love to be a, a partner in helping, you know, I can make, I will make it relevant, you know, and, uh, and, because it, it should be relevant, it is relevant, you know, and that's why I'm doing this stuff, because, you know, whether it's 20 years, 30 years, 40 years down the road, and however, I mean, well after I'm gone, these archives yeah. will always remain, and that's the thing that's sustaining about it, and that's the thing that's beautiful about it, so, John Wilmoth, it is, uh, Thank you for taking the time on Friday. I'm really glad we did it. And uh, I, do, you, uh, do you check your email? or I'm just curious because I've sent you a couple emails. I wasn't sure if you got them or not. I, I got all these emails. I'll listen to your interview. No, that's cool. I just want to make sure because yet. if I... Uh, and I'll also, I'll, when, I, when I get something in the can, I will let you know, you know, and, and, and send it to you. Okay. Well, it would be, and I'll, I'll, I'll forward you... Uh, so you can hear what I'm doing in this day and age. Yeah, exactly. Put, get me into the 21st century, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's pretty, pretty heavily influenced from that time. Oh, I can't, you know, I can't, but, you know, it's, uh, it really, it, it, it's a pleasure. Keep, keep, keep doing it, man, and, uh, and uh, I might ask for your address soon. I might just be shipping this John White record to you at some point. Okay. All right. Uh, please don't, I, I, you know, I'd rather have somebody uh, right now I wish you hadn't given away any albums. I wish you were chronicling all these albums and had them. And you know, yeah, no, but but it's uh, there's a legacy. Being the historian and the yeah. uh, the the journalist that that uh, is very valuable, you know. Yeah, well, it's so like it, I say, I get down, I get down to Arizona. Uh, I haven't recently because my. My spiritual teacher kind of like uh, gave up public speaking, but uh, I, I definitely am planning to get down there now for sure. I have a couple friends in the Tucson area. Oh, dude, you got to come sure, down and uh, and uh, and we'll hang, man. It'll be good. I might even retire there sometime. Like you say, that the spirituality is there. Yeah, I, you know? I listen. I came from a completely agnostic, mixed household, and. Uh, you know, I I I'm more spiritual now than, and I I owe it all to these, these uh these mountains and spirits and souls, and, I and bet. it's yeah. inside of me, man. So, uh, we'll talk soon, John. And thank you for taking the time to uh to to on this Friday to to go through this time with me. Okay, my pleasure, Jay. All right, talk, talk to you soon. You soon.